0: EMTs and other first responders see a lot of things. Sometimes they arrive on scene and find a situation that they never expected to see. In Port Orange, Florida, paramedics were called to the scene of a car accident on Interstate 95. Only one car was involved. When they arrived, they discovered that something had crashed through the windshield of the car and hit the driver in the head. That something was still inside the car. It was a large turtle. The driver of the car survived, and surprisingly, so did the turtle. And then there are a lot of situations where first responders show up and there's nothing they can do. Accidents happen, and people die in a large variety of ways. Chrissy is a paramedic, and she has a video where she talks about the variety of calls she's been on. There's a link to her video in the show notes. Some of the things she's seen are pretty traumatizing.
1: I was actually working with my husband at the time. And we had just had our baby. Our baby was little. I think less than a year old. And we responded to an unresponsive three-week-old. And what happened was, dad was with the baby, and dad fell asleep in bed with the baby, and rolled on top of the baby. And the baby suffocated. And it hours went by. <laughs> hours went by where dad was sleeping, and then finally woke up, and the baby was blue, unresponsive, cold, and it was horrible because, you know, you, you go through training for baby CPR and stuff like that. And you, you have the, you know, the mannequins and you, you know, you pray in God that you never have to use those skills. But when I looked at this baby, it looked just like the mannequin. And that's what I had to, that's what I had to do when I was on this call is like, it's just like the mannequin. It's just like the mannequin. And Unfortunately, this baby was beyond help, and that was the most devastating part of it. The baby was beyond help by the time we were called to respond.
0: So paramedics are pretty much trained to expect the unexpected. But still, there are some things you would never even dream of happening. My guest today is Kennedy. She's a teenage girl who lives in Idaho, Kennedy was in a rollover car crash, and while the car was rolling, she was thrown out. That in itself is not really that unusual. When you're not wearing a seatbelt, it's very likely that you're going to be flung out of the car with great force. What makes Kennedy's story very different is where she ended up. Real people? in unreal situations.
2: There
1: is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom. My friend has been shot. I'm in the
3: literally inside the river, and I'm inside my car. He had told me multiple times that he was going
1: to set himself on fire.
0: If you say my name or try to look at me, I'm going to kill
1: you. And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're going to be okay. And I
4: jumped on the hood of the car, and I...
1: Held on.
3: And I looked into the garage and he was hanging from the rafters.
4: I had somebody
0: standing on my neck.
5: He's better to me dead. I want him dead.
0: I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like?
5: Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week, we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio, a 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again, and Elizabeth Shoeff from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists. So go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side.
2: Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
0: Do you have a
3: fear of heights? I've always had a fear of heights. Like I don't like them. I get really scared. And so since then, being up super high makes me super nervous. Yeah, I would say I have a fear of heights, (laughs) but it's kind of always been a thing.
0: Even if you didn't before, I would think maybe you would now after (laughs) after what happened. This was the craziest story. Let's talk about what what was going on that day. You guys were in the car. Who was in the car with you?
3: So I had Jacob and Nakaya, my two best friends, in the car with me. And I'd gotten off work at (laughs) 5 o'clock. And I was having a hard day because two days prior to the accident, me and my boyfriend at the time had broken up. So I was just kind of an emotional mess. And so they came over and they said, well, let's go have a fun rest of the night and let's go get something to eat and get some soda and just hang out and make you feel better.
0: These are good friends. They wanted to help you out.
3: Yeah, but my mom and my two sisters were actually in Logan for the weekend to help my grandma with some yard work and just spend some time with her. And my dad stayed home because he wasn't feeling too well. And so my mom and them were like, will you please stay home with your dad just to check up on him? And I just didn't want to stay home and like wallow in my feelings. So I was like, I'm going to go with my friends. And obviously I should have stayed home and helped my dad. But we came back home from going in town. I checked on him. He was fine. He was sleeping. And then they were like, well, let's just go watch the sunset really quick. So we drove down the road to a mountain and it's four miles down the road. And we call it the base of the D because there's a big D on the mountain for Deklo we just drove up there, we parked and there's like a little dirt parking lot kind of thing.
0: Is this like when, like when you would go up like to a a scenic overlook where you would park and get a really good view?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So we were up there and we kind of were talking and I was crying, telling them how I felt and they were validating me and just listening and being really good friends. And then there was this beat up couch up there and they were like, oh, let's hit the couch with the car. And so like all these stupid teenagers, we were, um, I took the car and like, I just bumped it barely. And I was like, oh my gosh, my license plate is dented. My dad's going to kill me. And they were like, no, it's okay. And I just bumped it once. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that again. And then we sat and we watched the sunset and it was really pretty. And then Jacob's mom called and said, Jacob, you need to be home by nine. And so we were like, oh no, it's like 8.30. So, we were called her back and said, "Hey, is it okay if we come over and make crepes at our house?" And she was like, "Yeah." So, Jacob's car was at my house. So, we drove back to my house to go get his car, to go into town to go get ingredients to make the crepes, and then we were going to go to his house. But on the way from the base of the mountain to my house, which is 4 miles, we crashed.
0: Was anyone in the car wearing a seatbelt?
3: None of us were wearing a seatbelt. And I think that's probably because most of the time you hear the worst accidents or most accidents are only a few miles from your house. And my accident was only a mile from my house. And since it was only a four mile drive, we didn't think anything of it.
0: How old were each of you at this time?
3: I think we were all 16.
0: And right now you're about to turn 18.
3: Mm -hmm. In July.
0: And you're the one driving Mm -hmm. on the way back. Yeah. Okay. I
3: always drove. We started driving and I was like, pulled myself together to drive. And then I can't remember what happened, but I busted back out into tears. I just started crying and my speedometer did not work in my car, but I wasn't going fast because like, I wasn't going to drive fast and be crying. And so I was just driving and I was bawling and the roads were super dirty because the farmers were going in and out of the fields because we live like in the country so all farm fields around us
0: can you elaborate a little bit on that what does it mean when you say the the roads were super dirty what were they dirty with and how did that affect
3: like dirt and rocks and like clumps of dirt from the fields just I don't know debris I guess so I couldn't see very well the road was like looked like everything else and I started going off the left side of the road and I could feel my wheel go off, so I like overcorrected and I overcorrected too far to the right. We went off the road, and there was like a little bump, they said, and my car caught air. And it actually, I say my left blinker because that my left side of my car hit the power pole and it flipped us sideways. And we started flipping and rolling in the air. We bounced off the ground three times, flipped in the air, and just kept doing that. And in the process of me, us flipping. I was the first one out obviously. So, we don't know where I went out, the sunroof, the windshield, the door. You have no idea where I went out, but I got flown f- flown out and I landed on the power line by my femur and then Jacob was the next one out and then Nakaya. No, Nakaya and then Jacob. Cuz Jacob was in the back seat.
0: So you the car was rolling with such speed that mm-hmm. you were just flung from it.
3: Yeah. So we have Live 360 and it logged my phone and Anika's phone at 58 50 mi- 59 miles an hour and the speed limit on that road's 55 miles an hour. So we were only going 3 4 or 5 miles an hour over the speed limit. So it wasn't like we were speeding crazy. Like most people speed like 5 miles an hour over the speed limit. So I don't know. It was Hard to get those rumors squashed about me going super fast.
0: Yeah. Well, people assume a lot of things. Yeah. So you were launched from the car. This is the most unusual Mm -hmm. factor in this whole story. Rather than being thrown out to the ground, you were thrown straight up.
3: Mm -hmm. We have no no idea how high I got thrown.
0: Somehow you got your leg, your broken leg.
3: Wrapped up in it.
0: Yeah, the power line. Mm
3: -hmm. They said the top wire had electricity to it, and the bottom one didn't. So, I don't know what that means exactly.
0: There must have been some voltage through it, Mm -hmm. because there was was an element of electrical shock or burning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Were you conscious as you went through the air, or as you got tangled up in this line, did you know what was happening?
3: I don't remember everything like every little bit of it I don't remember flying up there I remember waking up on it like seconds after I got up there because no one was out there yet no one I was conscious the whole time until I was put into the ambulance but I was awake all the time and it was 45 minutes
0: you woke up hanging from this line
3: yeah upside down
0: what's going through your head at that time
3: this is kind of weird i'm ve- i'm religious and so it came very weird to me but i got a facetime call from god it was like a dream like going to heaven i guess it was like a screen in front of me and it was a picture of god with his hand going through the water and i was trying to accept it cuz like i was in so much pain i just i couldn't do it anymore i wanted to go home and i was like he's calling me like i'm supposed to go and so i was trying to accept it And, you know, a phone only rings for a certain amount of time. And so I was like stressed out because it was like running out of time. And finally, the screen just went black and I could see my reflection. And I was like bloody. I was gross. And I just started crying because like I knew I had to live with what was going to happen to me and that it wasn't my time to go. And so after that, I woke up like because that kind of came to me as like a dream, I guess.
0: Right, because you didn't you didn't actually have your phone with you.
3: No, my phone was on the ground.
0: Yeah, this was all in your mind. So
3: it was weird that it came like as a FaceTime call, but it did. And then I woke up and I remember I was super high in the air, it felt like. And I was upside down and it was like black. Even though it wasn't black at that point, it just I was like my vision wasn't very good. I woke up confused and I remember starting to cry. And I told myself, Kennedy, you can't cry. If you cry you're done. Like that's the end. But then part of me is like, why didn't I give up? Because prior to the accident, I had really bad depression and I think I would have ended up committing suicide if this didn't happen. So I don't know why I didn't give up on the wire.
0: I had not heard that part of your story.
3: Yeah. I've tried to, it's hard for me to talk about that because I feel like it was a weak point in my life. So I tell a lot of people my accident saved my life because if it didn't happen, I think I would have been dead by suicide.
0: It's interesting that the worst situations, sometimes in hindsight, it's good that they happened. Yeah. While you were up there and trying to figure out what happened, could you see Jacob and Nakaya? Did you know where they were?
3: I was actually faced towards the road. So, I was looking away from them and they were in the field behind me. So, I couldn't see them at all or what was going on, but I could hear screaming. And that's like, that just came back to me. Like, I don't know, maybe three weeks ago, the memories of screaming and the breaking of the glass and the crunching of the metal, like all that started to come back to me. So, I don't know if the screaming came from when we were in the car rolling or her behind me, because I did hear from the EMTs that she was screaming. So that might have been her screaming behind me, but I had no idea what was going on.
0: I'm interested in the fact that the screaming just came back to your memory. The yeah. memory of that just came back to you. Is that because you were you going through some therapy or counseling and, and that brought that back or it just happened to come back?
3: I think it just happened to come back because me and my friend were driving and this lady almost hit us and it was like scary cause it was almost another car accident. And I was just sitting there and all the sounds came back to me of like what it sounded like. And I was like, Oh, that, I didn't like that. And so now I, now when I drive, I'll look at something in the road and or on the side of the road and I'll be like, my brain will be like, Oh, you're going to hit that. And then I can hear it all. Even though I know I'm not going to hit it. My brain tells me I'm going to, and then I hear it all over again.
0: You know, I saw in one of your videos, that you kind of made a joke because people ask, why didn't you call 911 after the crash? Mm-hmm. And of course you couldn't because you didn't have your phone. Mm-hmm. But your response was, I was too high to reach the phone. Mm-hmm. And and some people actually thought you meant, yes, that's why we crashed because I was high.
3: Yeah. So I had to make like an explanation video. I'm like, no, I was not high on drugs. Please look at the picture. And then they were like, you're lying. You photoshopped that. I was like, I don't know how you could come up with this. And like my hometown would call me out and be like, you're lying. But I don't know.
0: Eventually, people stopped to help and someone actually did call 911. Mm-hmm. Let's hear that call.
6: Casual 911. What's the address of your emergency? 350
7: and 650 uh, from Wall.
6: Okay, can you give me the coordinates? 350 what?
7: 350 south and 650 uh, 650 south, we've got to have ambulances and police out here right away. What's going on? A car wreck. A girl is hanging by her leg from the telephone pole wire. Her mom is over here in the bottle pit. Her dad's over by the car. There's multiple people hurt. You got a fix on my phone?
6: Okay, so give me the address one more time.
7: Just west of 750 east and 350 north. 350 south of Declan.
6: All right, stay on the phone with me. I'm going to get the ambulance and everything head in that direction. I'm going to get more information from you.
7: We're going to need several ambulances.
6: How many people?
7: How many people are here? At least three. You, You really need to hurry. There is a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone
6: wire. Who's my county guy?
7: <laughs> I got
6: it. I medic need Medic 1 Leclerc, QRU, 316 respond to the area of 750 East 350 South for I believe a two vehicle crash unknown injury one, one female has a before. broken leg uh, are, possible broken leg health, Medic 1 Deckleur you 316 respond to the area of 750 East 350 South For a possible two vehicle crash, one female with a possible broken leg. Stand by for further. Okay, how many vehicles, sir? Right
7: away. The ambulance is coming.
6: How many people?
7: At least three. I'm not sure.
6: Nobody's really responded okay oh, how I many ve- how many vehicles one one vehicle yes okay
7: and there's a girl hanging from the telephone wire from her broken leg that's about broke severed uh i'm Jackal, here
6: medic 316 one to you medic 1316 1, be advised this will be a one, 1 vehicle crash down. Three people possibly injured. One female hanging by a broken leg from the telephone wire. What? <laughs> it, as if, are you with the v with uh, the lady now? God, you mean that? I'm Come here. You
7: can fucking rest right down. We're fucking laying all over dying. We need There's a girl hanging from the telephone a wire from her leg that's about to tore off. Any kind of emergency equipment you
6: have, but right now we got to get down there. Can you call? A- um, I think up. it's United United Electric. Get them just in case. Sir, have the has the vehicle hit the power pole? Yes, but the power pole is fine.
7: The vehicle and the people are in bad shape.
6: Okay, are all the people inside the vehicle? No, none of them are that I know of. Okay, I
7: haven't. Seen, there's two or three of them out of the vehicle.
6: Two to three out of the vehicle.
7: Yes, they're all thrown out. They were all thrown and, out. And Do you need to pull back down there now so I can help? Them. Bring, just go down there. Bring your outfit. Just help people that are laying all over.
6: I've got my medical cure. I've got uh, the medics and the QRU heading that direction. I want you to stay on the phone with me until the, they arrive well, if you can.
7: I'll stay on here.
6: Okay, and give me updates. Yes, and possibly a email attached to Are you Fire, respond to the area seven fifty east three fifty south for one vehicle crash three people possibly injured one female hanging by a telephone wire with a broken leg Fire, respond to the area seven fifty east three fifty south for one vehicle crash How many brothers, sisters, mom and dad how many are you with
7: them now? Hold on, sis. We got help coming. Miss you can help her. Copy. Still alive.
6: Are you with her right now?
7: Uh, I'm seeing how many more people were. is. Three
6: total. Huh? Yes. Are they
7: alive? Yes, they're all alive. Hey, flash your lights and cops. Uh, tell your officer they just drove past the roads. You need to come down the 350 road. West.
6: Three sixteen. Yes. My RP is advising this is near the Dan Darrington residence. In locals, I'm showing a seven zero five East three hundred South. Yes. Is it by Dan Darrington's house? Yes. Okay. Is is it like? Okay, how... Here comes one. They're turning down here. Okay, because I, a... I have and a I past. have a coming back. Okay, who's We're coming back? Right, We're going to
7: need a bucket truck out here to get this girl off the power line. You realize that? We need Southside or something with a bucket truck to get this girl. She's hanging on the
6: power line. We've contacted the power company.
7: 127 in the area. 127. Also, it looks like it's plotting about
6: 675 east.
7: There's three people. They're all in really bad shape.
6: Are they juveniles? Are they adults? Do you know? Uh, two juveniles and I think one adult. Okay. And are they all conscious and breathing? Can you tell?
7: Yes. Just FYI, I've got lifeline coming Okay. We got another gal over here in the field. For a guy.
6: Okay, I should have a couple of. Di- Eight five four. We have someone hanging from a wire,
7: approximately eighteen to twenty feet above the ground. We need a bucket truck or possibly um foot. That's medical tension, bad.
6: Copy. All um, dispatch, burly Fire. Early fire. Email and they
7: fire are all. Online. Been thrown
6: out. Okay, sir, I'm going to let you go if you're with the deputies and stuff, okay? What's that? I'm going to let you go, okay? Yeah, okay. All right, thank you thank so you. much. You thank
3: you.
0: By the time people realized what was happening, how many people were gathered there? Or could you see the crowd?
3: They were all underneath me because Jacob and Akai were obviously on the ground so they could get on their stretchers get in the ambulance get taken care of me on the other hand I couldn't get taken care of for another 45 minutes and so I was just hanging up there and I remember looking down and they were all holding a tarp underneath me and I remember it felt like a ton of people and I just remember looking at them confused like why why aren't you getting me down like why are you just underneath me holding a tarp like I get if I fall but I'm like I'm not going anywhere I'm wrapped up in here so I was just really confused on why they weren't getting me down
0: something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more there are lots of books I want to read and I try to read every day even if it's just a few pages a little bit each day adds up and it can make a big difference it's like taking care of your gut Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing, two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try.
2: Trust your gut. With Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25 what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what code 25 what.
0: I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Or go wild and have CookUnity pick for you, because every meal is just
2: amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com what.
3: I have two pictures posted on my Instagram, and one is just like the one guy took when no one was there, and then another one someone took on the sideline, and there's quite a few people underneath me, and you can see him holding the tarp.
0: Were they talking to you?
3: Yeah. So they said I was talking, like having a normal conversation. They said I was acting like it was a normal day. I was totally calm, and then I started to go out of it because I was losing a lot of blood. I can remember the blood running down my face, getting in my nose. And so at that point, I'm, like, getting delusional. And I remember yelling, are you guys going to get me down? Like, I really need some help. Help. I just kept saying, can you help me get down, please? I Like, I need to get down.
0: This had to be a, a unique situation mm-hmm. for the fire department. How did they get to you?
3: They used a fire truck, I think. It had, like, bucket, I want to say, on the end, maybe. I'm I'm not 100% sure because I don't remember that part, but they used some sort of ladder truck and had a stretcher on it. And I think there was two men. One put the tourniquet on and one was um, in the bucket.
0: I would assume they must have contacted the electric company mm-hmm. just to confirm that it was safe for them to get to you. Yeah,
3: I think they had to get the power turned off. And so I realized he's in my face and I just remember turning to him and I looked him dead in the face and I said, you really got to get me down. I can't, I can't do this much longer. I'm I'm going to die. And he said, we're trying. And he was like stressed, breathing hard. And obviously you would be like, my life is in his hands at this point. And he gets the tourniquet on and my memory kind of blanks out. And this is where they said that I, this was the only time I screamed, cried, is when they had to take my bone and leg back through the wire to get me untangled. And they said that is when I screamed like bloody murder.
0: You must've been partially awake then if you were, Mm -hmm. if you were feeling that pain, but you don't remember that part.
3: No. And there's a video out there that I actually have that I haven't seen yet because my parents have been hesitant hesitant on me watching it, but I think I'm ready to watch it. And I think it's, That part is the end when they're getting me on the stretcher and everything. So we'll see how that goes watching the video.
0: One of Kennedy's friends, who was also in the car at the time, was Jacob. I wanted to get his perspective on what he experienced.
4: I remember hearing, like, bangs and crashes all around me. I was hit pretty bad in the car due to me not being buckled up. The only way I can really describe it is that I was in a washing machine, if that makes sense. Next thing I know, it was very painful, and I remember like hearing my body hit the inside of the car. I remember hearing myself like moaning and groaning like, as I was being tossed around. And then when I opened my eyes, the first thing I noticed was that my wrist was sliced open. And it was bleeding, like, really heavily. The first thing I wanted to do was see if my friends were okay. And I see the car because I look up from my wrist and the car is right in front of me. I look to the left and I see Kennedy in the line and I have no idea where Nakaya is. And so obviously I was worried and I just completely astounded for how she got up there and worried out of my mind for her. Anyways, I tried to get up. I couldn't. It felt like in, when I played soccer, I pulled my hip out of place. It felt like the exact same. I was pretty much laying there helpless. My wrist was bleeding, but I was holding. I had my, so was my right wrist, and I was holding my left wrist above it so that the bleeding wasn't so bad. Anyways, I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't really breathe because I had a punctured lung. Kennedy was screaming for help, and I had no idea what to do. I had no clue where my phone was because I we'd all been thrown out of the car, along with the phones. We had no idea. And the car was at least twenty-five feet from me, probably more. Anyways, after like five, five or ten minutes, a dude on a motorcycle showed up, and he was like yelling. I don't think he saw me. First thing he did was he called nine one one. I could just hear him, like, exclaiming over and over how she was in a telephone wire and how they had to hurry as fast as they could get a ladder chuck. I don't remember if it was he or someone else that he had gotten their attention came over to me, and I used his phone to call my parents. And they got there in, like, 10 or 15 minutes, right after the first responders. I had a broken neck, broken back, broken pelvis, but I didn't know that at the time.
0: And now, back to Kennedy and her injuries.
3: So my actual injuries is on the way up or getting out of the car, my arm was completely ripped off other than it was holding on by the skin on my back. If you look at all my scars, my whole arm is scarred up other than my back. And so when my arm was ripped off, it took my three main, so you have five main nerves that control your arm. Three of mine were ripped from my spine root my spine's root and two of them were stretched really bad. And so my arm is like paralyzed, but they did a nerves transfer to help it. So it's slowly coming back. And then my femur was snapped and that's where it was tangled in the wire. My collarbone was snapped and my humerus was snapped.
0: You were quite a mess. Oh yeah. Can you talk about when your dad showed up at the scene?
3: Yeah. My memory cut out when he put the tourniquet on. And then it kind of comes back when I'm in the bucket truck or the ladder and I'm laying on the stretcher. And I remember looking at them, like the men. And I was like, I didn't say anything, I don't think. And I just looked at them, like, thank you for saving my life or trying to. And then they got me in the ambulance and I was in the ambulance. And they were like stressed out and they were we're losing her, we're losing her, um, you got to do this, and I can't remember exactly what they're saying, but I just remember I felt so much peace, like it was my time to go, and so I remember looking at him one last time, the other guys that were in there, kind of giving him my eyes, like, thank you, like, thank you for all you did, and little did I know, my dad was right outside the ambulance, right, so he could hear when they were saying, we're losing her, we're losing her, and he got there two minutes after they got me off the power line wire, and And when he showed up on the scene, a police officer was like, no, sir, you can't come any farther. And he was like, that's my daughter. I'm going to get her. And they were like, no. And I think my dad thinks they were trying to hold him off because I was still on the wire. And that'd be traumatic as a parent to see that. And so then he finally looks out in the field and he sees my car. So he sprints to it and he can't see me in there. So someone calls and goes, Jared, she's in here. And he gets to the ambulance and they won't let him in. So he just kneels next to it and is praying and he's like God please don't take my daughter leave whatever you possibly can just please don't take her. And they finally said Jared do you want to come in and give her a blessing and he said yes. So he came in and he saw me and he said my leg was he didn't he didn't think they could save it. He knew from the start they didn't they couldn't save it. And he came in and he put his hands on my head and gave me a blessing and as soon as he came in my eyes were rolling in the back of my head. And I was going because when my last memory is, I just knew it was my time to go. So I just kind of gave up, I guess, because I knew there was nothing else I could do. And as soon as that was happening, he came in and he gave me the blessing and kissed me on the forehead. And he said, My face was just covered in blood. And he could, like, it sounds gross, but since he kissed my forehead, he had blood all over his lips. And the drive all the way to Pocatello, that's all he could taste was my blood. And they told him, say your goodbyes now because she's not going to make it.
0: I'm a parent. I, I can't imagine how traumatic that could be. Did you come back to consciousness on the way to the hospital?
3: Yeah. So I guess I was telling them just how my day was going and what I was doing that day and told them my boyfriend had just broken up with me and how sad I was about it. So (laughs) that's embarrassing. (laughs) <laughs> it's really embarrassing, actually.
0: They they probably found that uh to be a little bit amusing. I yeah,
3: my think. life is literally, literally on the line and I'm talking about how I just got broken up with. <laughs> yeah.
0: When was the next time you were conscious?
3: It was a few days later, and my first memory was when I would go, my vision would go in and out. I don't remember really opening my eyes, but I could hear everyone in the room and I it was like dark. I remember it was really dark and cause I think my eyes just barely would open. And so I could hear everyone talking, but I didn't really know what was going on because obviously I'm still in really bad condition. And I remember my dad told all the doctors, he was like, no conversations inside of the hospital room. I know my daughter's in here because they were telling my dad I was like brain dead. He said, she's like, we think she has a really bad brain injury. And he goes, no, she doesn't. She's fine. And so he said when they would hear, when they would talk about what was going on, he would see a tear roll out of my eye. And so he, that's when he told them no conversations in the room. And that's when he taught me to squeeze my hand. So for yes, he'd be like, squeeze my hand for yes. And I would squeeze. And then he taught me squeeze three times for I love you and so I would sit there and squeeze because I still had my I was still intubated and then my next thing I learned was to like spell things out with my finger so I remember my family there and my dad was always next to me like held my hand always right there would fix anything my mom was always like kind of in the corner because she doesn't do well with that kind of stuff And so she, it was hard for her to look at me, but I remember her still there. And then my older sister, she would come and she, I'd remember her just crying next to my bed and she'd always play a song, but I'd never, I never heard the song before. So I was really confused. And then when I got out of the hospital, I heard the song again. I said, I know this song. And she goes, yeah, this song I used to play for you in the hospital. And so that song means a lot. It's Astronomy by Conan Gray.
0: It's interesting because so many people talk about when someone's in a state like that, and it seems like they're not responsive or not hearing anything, not seeing anything, but yet so many times they are. They mm-hmm. are able to hear and, and know more about what's going on than, than we think. And obviously, that song is embedded in your brain now.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It was just weird because I woke up. And someone sent it to me and goes, look at this new song. And I was like, I know this song. Like, this isn't new. And it was because my sister had been playing it for all those days. (laughs) That day, they told me my leg had to be amputated. I could tell. So I was still actually in a coma because I had four amputations in total. So I don't remember the first amputation or anything, but the last amputation, they were like, Kennedy, this is a really big surgery. And I had no idea what it was for, nothing. And they were all stressed out. And I came out of that surgery and I didn't know that if I had to get my leg amputated at the break, because my leg just kept rotting. So they just had to continue cutting. And they said, if we have to cut any more, we'll have to take it at the break and she'll never be able to walk again. I had no idea my leg was even amputated in the first place. So I just kind of was like, I know something's wrong. And I came out of that surgery and I ended up having to get it uh, amputated at the break. And the room was just full of sadness and I could feel it like in my heart. I knew something was terribly wrong, but no one was telling me. And I remember my dad came up to my bed. And I said, dad, what's wrong? And he said, nothing, everything's going to be okay. And I said, I know everything's going to be okay. And he just, Broke down, and I don't see my dad. My dad does not cry. And so, seeing him cry, I knew something was really wrong. And then he pulled himself together, and later that day, he came up to me and he said, Kennedy, I have to tell you something. And I said, Yeah. And he goes, We had to amputate your leg. And I said, Did Nakai and Jacob have to get lose any limbs? And he said, No. And I said, So they're okay. And he goes, Yeah. And I said, Well, I'm glad I'm the one that had to lose the limb. And I kind of turned my head away and I wanted to be alone because that's like hard to take in because I loved soccer. I played it my whole entire life. And so I remember I thought, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to play soccer again. And so that like hurt me really hard, really bad. And then I kind of was okay with it. And I like, there's nothing I can do. So I was fine. And then I think the next day they came in Pete, Physical therapy did, and they said, "Okay, we're gonna do ten squats today." And this was the day after my last, like my one of my last surgeries. And my dad was like, "Oh my gosh, she can't! Like, what are you doing? She just got out of surgery. She can barely move." And they were like, "Nope, she can do it." And I was like, "Yeah, I can do it." And I hadn't seen my leg yet, and I was scared. And so I, they put me into a ninety degree angle, and I was looking up, and I said, "My leg's covered and with my gown." They said, yes, yeah, it's covered. And I said, okay. And so I like kind of looked forward. I still wouldn't look down. And then we did my 10 squats and I sat back down and my, and I looked down on accident and my gown was all the way up and I didn't realize how short it was. Like for some reason, I thought it was like below the knee or at my knee. And I looked down and I said, and I looked at my dad and I said, dad, you didn't tell me it was this short. I said, I have nothing left. My leg's gone he goes, I I know it's short, but you still have something. And I said, no, Don't add it, it's gone. I said, It's all gone, and I started bawling. And it was hard because like I didn't realize how short it was and that there was like nothing left. And they tried to get me to touch it, and I finally I said, No, 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 and then I finally touched it. And I kind of embraced it at that point. And so I laid back down and they were like let's get on your right side, and I got on my right side. They were like, okay, try to move a little bit, and so I was trying to move, and funny thing is my trauma name, in the hospital, you get a trauma name, and my name was Trauma Gobi, and so I said, hmm, I'm going to name my little leg Gobi, and so since then, I named it Gobi, and I made a Gobi dance like, I don't know, that day. And I kind of just move it around and say, "Go, go v, go, goby." And so since then I've just I don't know, I just embraced it at that point. and the doctors were really impressed because they were like, most people will just shut down and be done,
0: obviously, your leg is kind of something you've been used to having your whole life, mm-hmm. both of them. Mm-hmm. And when you look down and it's just not there, it's hard. That just has to, yeah, that has to take some time for it to, to just sink in. Yeah. How has your recovery gone? What kind of progress have you made since then?
3: I've made a ton of progress. Like the doctors and everyone was like so impressed because I just like had the best mindset. I was like, I'm, I've got to do it. Like I have no other choice. And so I like embraced it and just went forward with it, did my best. And they were like, I wasn't even supposed to get out of the hospital till September. I was out in earlier July, and so I just worked my butt off and knew what I had to do and did it and just kept the attitude of, like, you can do this. You were sent here. Because I believe everything happens for a reason and that we were sent here knowing the trials we were going to go through. So I just felt prepared and like was okay with everything and grateful, I guess, to be even alive.
0: And how's the progress on the use of your left arm?
3: It's gotten really good because they did a nerve transfer surgery where they like split the nerves and put it to different muscles to like help grow to get my arm to work. So my wrist like can't lift up or my fingers cannot extend, but I have a surgery for that on June 4th. But my bicep can make my arm bend to a 90 degree angle and it can slowly Abduct and go forward. So it's slowly coming back, but it's doing really good. They only expect 50%.
0: That's the prognosis.
3: Mm-hmm. Like they came to me and they're like, You only have 50% use. I said, No, I'll have 100%. And they're like, No, you won't. And I said, Yeah, like I will have 100 or close to 100. I, w- I won't settle for 50.
0: Describe the first time you put on the leg prosthesis.
3: So I was in a wheelchair for a few months and that as a teenage girl, a 16 year old girl, you don't want to be in a wheelchair. That's, and especially for who I used to be, like I was never had to be in that situation. So being in a wheelchair was hard. And as soon as I got my prosthetic, I was so excited to walk again. Like I was so happy and I immediately wanted to take it home, but that was like the test cast to make sure everything worked. And then I got it a few weeks later, and I've loved it.
0: I've heard stories of people, the first time they put it on, it's kind of painful.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Or how, how did that go, and how long before you were comfortable walking with it?
3: My leg in the hospital, they accidentally put, they put pressure on, and it split the bottom of my leg open. So I have like a kind of circular sensitive spot on the bottom of my leg. And so my prosthetist would put the liner on and the suction, cause I had a pin on the bottom of mine. So it like pull it and that milking sensation would give me blisters on the bottom where that little sore, what where the little sensitive spot was. So I would like walk, I don't know, three steps and I'd have like huge blisters. I finally figured out how to put it on. So I don't, and then I was fine. It didn't, it doesn't hurt too bad. Like sometimes when I'm sitting for a while and then put it on, it'll hurt my sit bone because that's where it like keeps you up. But for the most part, it's not bad at all.
0: Did you actually ask the doctors if you could have your amputated leg back?
3: (laughs) I did. (laughs) I wanted it back so bad.
0: What would you do with it?
3: I don't know. I have no idea, but I think it was like all the meds, but I was so upset. I was like, I want my leg back. Make him give it back. My dad goes, you can't have it back. And I said, I want it back. (laughs) I I don't know.
0: Can you talk about the first time you went driving again?
3: So obviously I was like super scared and cautious and I was tensed up and it wasn't bad. Actually, I was surprised because I was expecting it to be really hard for me. But actually recently it's been hard, hard for me because like I said earlier, I can, I'll just be driving and my mind will say, Oh, you're going to hit that. And I can hear everything again. And it's just, I feel like I see things jump out at me. And so like, I'll start having panic attacks recently when I drive. So I try not to drive at night anymore.
0: It was nighttime when this happened, right? It was, so it was dark.
3: Yeah. It was pretty dark. Not quite all the way, but.
0: I find it really interesting that you went like from one extreme to the other where prior to the accident, you said you were, you, you suffered from depression and were perhaps even suicidal. Mm -hmm. And now you're like at the other end, like I've got everything to live for. Mm -hmm. How do you explain that transition?
3: I don't even know how to explain it myself because I just woke up and I like, New life was worth living for, and there was so much more out there for me than what I thought. Like before, I just felt like social media made me so upset, and people don't understand that. And then I, since I was off social media for like weeks and didn't see anything, I was like, "Dad, I think that's why I was so upset." And obviously, I had other challenges going on. Like my dad was diagnosed with cancer a few years back, so I was dealing with that and like the stress of that, but. It feels good to just not be sad anymore and just be grateful for what I still do have in the amazing life I can still live.
0: You told me that since this story became public, you've had some people contact you who also lost a limb or they've gone through, you know, something really traumatic. And they came to you for advice Mm -hmm. or inspiration on how to get through that. What do you tell those people?
3: I have a lot of girls come to me and tell me how they're insecure about their scars or they're insecure about their amputation and, or even like boys too, but a lot of girls, it's a lot about insecurities. And I have my own insecurities insecurities, also, but one thing I am not insecure about is my scars because I think that just shows how much I've been through. And I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. I understand the amputation and missing a limb because you're so different from everyone else. But if you look at it in a positive way, it makes you stand out. And people are going to be drawn to you to like want to know more about it. And you can turn into a teaching experience instead of looking at it like, oh my gosh, my life sucks. And so I tell them, just be grateful for what you still do have and that you're even alive still.
0: That's a great way to look at it. And speaking of social media, you have told this whole story on TikTok, and you're Mm -hmm. kind of a TikTok celebrity now.
3: I'm getting there. (laughs) No, not quite. But I started it all on Instagram, and my sister started on there, and I've kind of kept it going because they were like, I think this is a really good opportunity for you to share your journey and everything you go through, your feelings. And use it as a journal. And it's been really great for me. And then TikTok, I didn't take that like seriously, I guess you would say, until like probably January. And then I've just kept going and posting videos. And then I post the one, Why Didn't You Call 911 When You Crashed? And that got almost 43 million views. And so since then, my followers like skyrocketed. And I don't know, I like use it as a way to escape. And deal with my trauma with humor. So I make videos that I think are funny and people seem to like them. So <laughs> Obviously
0: they do. And they are funny. They're they're, they're interesting. Yeah. They're entertaining. What do you see going forward? What, what is your plan? Like where do you see yourself five years from now?
3: One of my goals is to become a Paralympian. I would absolutely love to because sports have always been a really big part of my life. And so either be... Coming at Paralympic for snowboarding, skiing, track, like anything, I, w- I would want to pursue that. And so, obviously, college is in there, but I have my surgery, um, the beginning of summer, so I probably won't go to college till spring semester or next fall semester, not this fall, but just work on possibly going to the Paralympics. I don't even know if like I end up will, but it's just something I would love to do.
0: One of my previous guests is a Paralympian. So maybe I can connect you with him. Oh, really? Yeah. That'd be cool. Do you have thoughts about a, a career or what you'd want to do for a living?
3: I'd want to go into business. I like to start my own business. I don't quite know what, but like learn different, like how to do a business, how to run it, how to work your finances. Like I just feel like there's a lot you can learn in that major and there's a lot of different things you can do with it.
0: Sure. It's a wide open world. Well, Kennedy, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing your story. I'm so glad you made it, and um, thanks very much.
3: Yeah, I had fun. Thank you for giving me this opportunity.
0: While Kennedy was hanging up there on the power line, a couple of things happened. First, the power line that was wrapped around her leg pinched off the main artery so she didn't bleed out. And the second thing is, she could have also bled out from where her arm was ripped away from her body. But the assumption is that the electricity in the line actually burned the area around her shoulder and back and had a cauterizing effect so that she didn't lose all her blood from there either. So the power line very likely saved her in both of those ways, in addition to just catching her so she didn't fall another 20 feet to the ground which could have also been fatal. Pretty incredible story. Okay, we've got some stuff to talk about. I'm thinking about doing an episode of all first responder stories. If you're an EMT, a paramedic, a firefighter, or any other kind of first responder, I know you have a story. You know what I'm talking about. When you're out with friends and someone mentions your line of work and then you get the question, What's the craziest call you've ever worked? Every EMT has a story. You might even have more than one. Well, I want to hear it. You can call it into the podcast voicemail line at 727-386-9468, or you can just record an audio file on your phone and email it to me, scott at com. I'll put a bunch of these together, and we'll have a whole episode hearing about the bizarre things you've seen on the job. And a question, are you on Pinterest? Well, I am, or I should say the podcast is. I'm kind of still figuring it out and easing into it, but you can follow me at whatwasthatlike.com Pinterest. And one more thing before we get to this week's listener story, there's a podcast I want to tell you about. Now, this is not a paid ad, and in fact, the host of the show, who's a friend of mine named Brandon, he doesn't even know I'm mentioning it here. But he does a great show called Music City 911. Brandon lives in Nashville and he works as a 911 dispatcher. For his podcast, he plays real life 911 emergency calls from all over the US and he analyzes them from his perspective as an actual 911 operator. So not only does he have the inside knowledge of how the call plays out, how the operator handled it, what the caller did that was right or wrong. He also has a voice that's perfect for audio. I've been subscribed for a while and I listen to every episode and I think you'll enjoy it. You can find it on any podcast app. Just search for Music City 911. And now we have this week's listener story. This one's from my friend TZ and he too has a great voice for audio. His story describes a mystery that he's never figured out. If you have any ideas, I'm sure he'd be interested. Stay safe, and I'll see you in two weeks.
5: Now, this story is true. It happened about two years ago when I bought a new house. I got kind of lucky because the market dipped during the pandemic. Now, the house was a total wreck. I don't know for sure, but I suspect the woman who lived here before was an alcoholic and lived alone. There were plates and silverware in the front lawn the grass was growing up to my shoulders almost and it took months of cleaning and repair to get it livable now I'm pretty lucky in that my dad is a contractor and he was trained as a carpenter and so one of the things we did together was remodel the kitchen we tore out all the old cabinets and the tiles put in a new sink it was a couple months of putting in 40 to 50 hours every week but it paid off and the kitchen looks great now. But I want to tell you about what happened when we were right in the middle of the kitchen remodel. Now I rent the house out now to a couple other roommates to help pay the mortgage. But at the time I was living here alone and when I woke up and opened my bedroom door on the second floor, I heard the sound of someone taking a shower downstairs. Now that's impossible because I was the only one there. And as I walked down the stairs in a kind of half-awake state, I noticed that the living room looked like a sauna or a steam room. There were water droplets pooling on the ceiling, dripping down. All walls were also covered in water. And there was a thick fog so that you could almost not see five or six feet ahead of you. Now when I turned the corner at the bottom of the stairs and Looked into the entryway to the kitchen, what I saw absolutely shocked me. And we had taken out the sink in all the cabinets and we had had the new cabinets ready to place. So, where the kitchen sink was, were the two water lines, hot and cold, sticking straight up. And when we had left our work for the day the previous night, the knobs were turned firmly off. But on this morning, when I looked into the kitchen, The hot water line was fully opened and spraying a fairly thick stream of water directly into the ceiling about 10 feet overhead, which was then cascading down like a fountain. It looked like something you'd see at a water park. The floor was flooded with water, and since it was the hot water, it was putting off massive amounts of steam. I immediately panicked. I don't know anything about plumbing, so I called my dad right away. I'm sure I sounded kind of insane and told him what was going on. I hung up the phone and went over to the water line to see if there was anything I could do to shut it off. And all I did was turn the knob and the water turned off. Probably turned it maybe two good rotations. Over the next 24 hours or so, we spent with a wet vac In the basement, vacuuming up, oh, probably over 100 gallons of water. It was a good way to clean the basement floor. And luckily, only a couple of the cabinets were ruined, so we weren't out that much money. It actually could have been much, much worse. But the thing that I can't figure out is how the water line got opened in the first place. I know I didn't do it. Now, I have been known to sleepwalk, but... I would say the chances that I did this are maybe one in a thousand or a hundred thousand. I guess it's possible. I know no one else was living in the house. I know that my two cats don't have the necessary dexterity in their paws to turn a handle like that. And there were no signs of anybody breaking in. Plus, it was an empty house with nothing to steal. Unless it was a kid playing an elaborate prank with basically no motivation. To this day, we have no idea who did it. Now, as I said, my dad works in uh, construction and came up as a carpenter, and I asked him in his 40 or so years of practice in the trade whether he'd ever had a situation like that or something similar, and he said never. He's never seen a water line just open. Well, that next weekend, I got some sage from my sister. And though I don't necessarily believe in ghosts, I saged every room of the house and also prayed whatever kind of prayers I could think of. And knock on wood, to this day, about two years later, we haven't had anything besides for a few noises in the attic. But nothing like that has happened again. So if you enjoyed this story, if you enjoyed my voice Maybe you would like my podcast where I tell true crime stories. I mainly stick to ones you haven't heard before, the more fringe, bizarre ones. If you do want to check us out, go to tapesfromthedarkside.com. Again, that's tapesfromthedarkside.com, or just search for Tapes from the Dark Side in your pod player, including Spotify and Apple, and maybe I'll see you guys on my feed. bye uh-